Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. So Sherry, for my birthday this year, some friends took me to this amazing drag brunch show in Alameda, California, my hometown. And it was such an awesome experience. I hadn't been to a drag show in a while and I really, really fell in love with our hostess. She was amazing. And then the, being the stalker that I am, I tracked her down and asked if she was joining the podcast. And so I'm super excited that Ava Lachey is joining us today. Ava is a Bay Area-based drag entertainer and event MC. She's often referred to as the Queen of the East Bay. And for those of you not familiar with the Bay Area, the East Bay is exactly what it sounds like, East of the Bay. Ava has spent the past eight years building a name for herself in the community through hosting, producing, and performing in countless shows and events. She loves to bring laughter and joy to people through the art of drag, but also uses her art form to raise awareness of everyday issues for the LGBTQIA plus community. Given everything going on in the U.S. around the LGBTQIA plus civil rights and how drag shows are being specifically targeted we thought it would be amazing to hear from someone in that community. And so Ava, thank you so much for joining us today. We're super excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your journey, points along the way, and how you got to where you are today. I am seeing you out of drag today, but when I first got to meet you, I saw you in drag. And for our listeners, we'll have a fabulous picture of Ava in drag that you'll get to see in all the show notes. But Ava, just tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, I was born in Oakland and my mother who grew up out there is really funny. I come from a mixed race household. So my mother, we always joke because she grew up in being one of few like white girls in her school and growing up in that area and, you know, just loving it. That was her home forever. And when we were very young, she moved us to Dublin, California. We moved to the Tri-Valley. Her job was moving. There was also an incident. There was a drive-by shooting at the apartment complex where we live. So she just wanted to make sure she, you know, got us into a new neighborhood as the one, you know, she'd lived in her whole life was changing. So we kind of had a very similar experience. My siblings and I, I have uh, three older sisters and we had a very similar experience to my mother in the sense of being in an area where culturally we didn't fit in as much. So you definitely had to grow up with thick skin. Humor was very much a big part of our household. Going through school and then figuring out really, really early on that I was gay was like an interesting bit. So being in a predominantly white school and already being mixed and then being gay on top of that. It was very interesting trying to navigate life. Did you know any gay people when you were young? Not really. There were people that I I suspected might have also been, but until somebody's comfortable having that conversation themselves, not really. Nobody was really out when you were a kid. Well, one of them passed, but I had two gay uncles, but I didn't, I was never really around them as a kid just because one was in the military and they lived very far away. And then the other was never really around. So so it was just me. (laughs) So here you are like growing up in this predominantly white neighborhood, a mixed kid, a gay kid. 
So did you know pretty young you were gay? How did that come to be? Yeah, I watched Batman and Chris <laughs> O'Donnell as Robin was pretty, you know, that, pretty that was, was pretty sure. <laughs> and yeah, I just kind of always knew. So it's kind of this weird, you know, you already try to find your identity as a person. You know, when back in the 90s, there was no other box as far as like your race. And then you're trying to figure that out when you're younger and your parents tell you, you know, you're different parts of the world, you know, in that sense. But when you're mixed, you're told very early on, you know, you're, the world is going to perceive you. You are, you are black, you know, that's very much a lesson you get from your parents. Cause you know, you're not going to be treated any different than that. But when you're younger, you're trying to really figure it out. You know, you see your parents and they they look different from each other and you really just want to know where you fit into that. And then figuring out very early on that I was gay. It was one of those things where you're trying to figure out what that means. And when you're young, you know, I was five years old and you're trying to figure all this crazy world stuff out. And then you grow up with that and it's not really, you know, overall, you're not very, well embraced for various things. So it's a very isolating feeling. So you figured out pretty young you were gay. Did you have the opportunity to come out to your family? Well, funny thing, I always joke I never really came out. (laughs) (laughs) Do they still not know? No, I mean, I'm definitely out. But uh, it was one of those things where Black culture, you know, it's very, you know, men are really pushed to embrace masculinity. And so like, you know, with my dad, it was very much was not something that was ever going to be okay at the time. You know, there was something that was very much, you know, you were told and shown and both sides of my family, really, you were told and shown that being gay was not okay. You know, you watch a movie and there may have been a character who was gay and you see your parents and relatives have a very strong negative reaction to it. You learn early on to not show that in yourself because you've already seen how they reacted to a stranger. And then you wonder, what does that mean for me? And as you get older, you know, you hear things and you have friends who have been kicked out of their house for being gay. You, you know, you learn very much how that affects a lot of people. For me personally, it was never anything I talked about. I can say I do joke with my mother now. And like I said, when I said I never came out, it's because I got to a point where I was like, if people don't figure it out... (laughs) They're not paying attention to me anyways. And also just people who identify as heterosexual don't have to come out. So why should I have to do that myself? So I think it was just one of those things. I went to Pride one year and people started getting a little suspicious. And then from there, it was just, I was living my life. And I figured anybody that could figure that out, if they took the time to figure it out, then fine. But I don't really, I mean, I had a conversation with my mother ultimately about it. And it was really funny. I said, well, I'm sure you knew And she's like, no, I had no clue. I said, well, then you didn't pay attention to me for (laughs) the first 21 years of my life. So I'm really curious when you had this conversation with your mom and she's like, no, I I didn't know. I had no idea. What was her reaction to you effectively telling her? Well, it was really funny. I have a truly amazing mother. I just want to start by saying that my mom is absolutely amazing. But, you know, she's had a lot of different, really rough life experiences herself, both personally, physically, health, just everything. So, you know, there were periods where our relationship was 
complicated due to stuff she had going on and, and, and vice versa. And so when it got to that point where I was like, well, we can have this conversation and I, cause I love my mother and I just want to see where we stand. And I was, you know, when you're at a point where you're, I was an adult. So I was like, well, if there is an issue, you know, I'm not getting kicked out as a teenager. And I didn't really feel like that was going to be the case, but just kind of feeling it out. So it was really funny. We were, I took her to a counseling appointment she had and I remember she had driven there, but on the way back, it was really funny because I was just like, I'm going to drive. Because I was like, if I say this and she veers off the road or something, that would be really awkward. So I was like, I'm going to drive. And then I think we were like halfway from Fremont back to Pleasanton at the time. And I was just like, so mom, I'm gay. And it was really funny because she just kind of sat there for a second and she's like, okay. She's like, well, that's your business. And that was kind of that. And I mean, I just kind of let her take that in for a bit and we would have other conversations and she was really great about it. It was just one of those things where parents, they have to go through stages of that themselves and people forget your parents are their own people. They have their own thoughts. It might not always align with yours, but they, they have to process things themselves, you know? And so for her, it was really just kind of going through, not necessarily like stages of grief, but going through stages of concern as a parent, what does this mean for my child? What does this mean for no matter how grown I was, you know, what does this mean for my child in the world we live in? My safety then, you know, was already a big concern for hers, not only as her child, but as a young black male. And then now as a young gay male on top of that, what does this mean for my kids? So that was really where it went from there. But if anything, I want to say our relationship became even stronger from that. So you find yourself at 21, you're kind of of the mindset, which by the way is amazing. Like why do the straight folks not have to come out? Right. Like if you haven't figured it out, you're not paying attention. So you get to this point, you're, you're 21 and I'm sure there's been some other things along the road that have been maybe a little bit bumpy in both kind of coming out, being of mixed race, finding drag. So I'm just curious sort of what happens next for you. Kind of like leading up to how drag came about. I always say drag was the very first thing I ever did that was mine. That was for me because I spent so many years taking care of other people and being there for other people and helping them find themselves or live their dreams or supporting them that I, you know, when I did find drag, it was for me. And when I say taking care of other people, my mother has had a lot of health problems ever since I was little. When I was a baby, she had leukemia. And my mother's had cervical cancer. She had cancer three times, ultimately. She's had a mild heart attack. She's had a stroke in her time. Because my mother's always been that person that takes on everything for everyone. And it has affected her a lot in her life. And so I was always, as the baby of the family, I was always very much kind of my mother's keeper. I was very much the one that like kind of looked after her the most. You know, I was there through a lot of crazy stuff with my siblings. I have one sister I have a really good relationship with now, but I didn't have a really good relationship with my sisters growing up. I raised my niece and nephew. How old were you when you started helping to raise them? 13. I was 13 years old. My oldest sister had a lot of issues with drugs and other stuff going on. And I remember at one point they were living in their car and then we found out they came to our house and I talked to my mother and I said, well, the kids should stay with us. I was like, she can't, but 
you know, the kids should. And I was always very, I don't know. I was a very, very mature. I, I was, was just a very, very young kid. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Have you regressed? You've gone backwards now? <laughs> they were three and five when they came to live with us. My nephew, you know, they, the conditions of which they were living were really rough. My niece, her teeth had already kind of started rotting in the front. My nephew had infantigo. So it was a very like stressful situation and they came to live with us. And for 10 years they were with us and we had originally agreed, you know, the kids can stay there until she got her stuff, got her situation together, got her life together. That didn't really happen for a very, very long time. And ultimately, even when the courts decided that they were going to give her a chance to be a mom, she still didn't really have her stuff together, but it was a really rough, I remember being 15 and having to like, we had to go to court multiple times. She kidnapped the kids at one point. We got them back. She was involved in a really rough situation where we had to have the police at the school to make sure she didn't come and get them at one point or another. It was a lot to deal with within those 10 years of time. But I mean, my niece and nephew, they're my kids as far as I'm concerned. They're grown now. They've got kids of their own. They're like the most incredible accepting because they're also from my mother's first marriage so my niece and nephew are also white because my sister is is my older sister white and so it was really funny like them growing up in this household with like me but you know i know it's like there's a like the complicated bit of people saying i don't see color because like the reality is you know everybody sees color but they never blinked they never questioned me being their uncle they never my father as like the grandpa they knew you know that was just their life and everyone around them and but isn't that the amazing thing about children about how accepting that they are and it it's interesting because one of the things i remember about your show it was back in january is there were some kids in the audience and you spoke so beautifully both to those kids that were there in the audience and one of them was sitting right near me. They were probably around 11 there with their grandparents perhaps. And then I couldn't see on the other side, but I'm going to guess about the same. And you were so sweet to them because I think you were acknowledging their presence, but also acknowledging the adults for bringing them and how important it was for people to be able to see art, to be able to see drag, to be able to, it's fun and it's light. And I really appreciated how well you celebrated that situation. And really one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is I I just thought, man, she's super cool. I want to, I want to know more about this person. So you've raised these little people and they've grown up to be amazing humans. And you said your mom was a big giver. Kind of sounds like you're a big giver as well. (laughs) And I think you were started to say drag was the first thing you had done for yourself. And so tell us a little bit more about that. So spending all this time, like taking care of mom, the kids, everything. Even when I was going to school, that wasn't even my main focus. It was just another part of day-to-day going to work, going to school, doing all these things. And I didn't have many outlets other than like reading. I love reading. I love books. Reading and and writing, those were my outlets because when you have so much in your life going on, that's very stressful those other worlds that you can either create or just find yourself in through a book really became my escape from the day-to-day stuff. And when I was attending Las Positas College, it was a big, big part. And that's why I will forever have a really warm place in my heart for Las Positas College is because it was such a big part of me 
finding myself more. I don't know. I don't know if you've experienced this, but like growing up, I always felt like I had such a strong sense of myself. I felt like I had it all figured out at a very young age. I was like, oh, I know who I am. And then you get older and you start, you learn more things and you're just like, okay, I didn't quite have that part down. But while I was at Las Positas College, I joined the QSA, the school QSA, the Queer Straight Alliance. And that was a huge part about me just being more comfortable being myself physically and presently and being surrounded by other queer people because I was not really in my life ever surrounded by queer people like that. And so it was really this warm and comforting environment where it's like even in at home where I wasn't necessarily able like not didn't always feel like I could be myself I could go there and be myself and be around people like me and through that we had and I'm gonna I'm gonna say his name Nico Portugal who was one of the previous Las Positas College USA presidents we had classes together and eventually I was voted in as the new president somewhere down the line. And that was really probably the biggest point of me finding my voice as a person, because as a kid, I was so vocal and I was, I did plays in elementary school and I was so comfortable in my skin. But as you get older and you have people telling you're too loud, you're too this, you're too feminine, you're too eccentric or what have you. Sometimes you really do find yourself in the shell. And I, years and years of putting all this camouflage over me that I didn't even really feel like I've had a voice for a very long time. So now being the president of this QSA at Las Positas College, like I found myself in a point where I had to be the leader and I had to speak up and I had to be more comfortable talking in a room full of people. And through that, you know, I got really comfortable with that. And then we were doing a meeting and we were talking about events because we were always required to do like a couple of small events and one big event per semester in order to keep funding for the club and keep the club going. And, you know, at this point we'd done a couple of events and it was always like, okay, we're doing a a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory themed booth. And somebody always had the, they were always like, oh, we're going to dress we're going to dress Ava up. It's going to be great. And I was like, oh God. And so when Nico Portugal came to one of the meetings to sit in and he said, you should all do a drag show as one of your big events. And we were all like, okay, sure. And then they're like, oh, <laughs> if we do it, we have to dress you up. You have to do drag. And I was You're like, like, wait, what? <laughs> and, I, and I remember thinking, I was like, okay, well, I was like, I don't want to like embarrass myself or offend anyone because I really did not know much about the drag community myself. My experience with drag is very much that of what a lot of everyday people's experiences with drag. Mrs. Doubtfire, Mulan, Big Mama's House, Medea, you know, all of those, you know, things we grew up with. So I didn't really get it. And I was like, okay, well, check it out. I had a friend of mine who was, did lighting and sound at a show called Dark Room at the Stud in San Francisco. And I was like, I'll go check it out. And that was my first time ever going into a queer space, like a queer bar. I was my first time seeing a drag show. The very first performer I ever saw is now a good friend of mine. Their name is Novelli. It was a Susie and the Banshees tribute night. Amazing. Because <laughs> it was a goth party. And I just really fell in love with the art of it. 
I still hadn't decided that I wanted to do it at that point, but I really fell in love with the art of it and just the freedom. And it was a really beautiful and accepting environment. Everybody was just free to be themselves. And these performers were able to be anything that they wanted. And I think that was the magic for me was, again, like I grew up loving stories and books and film where anything was possible and it was magic. And now there's this like, you can be anything. You don't even just have to be a person. You can be this strange entity. Like you can be an alien or a mythical creature or anything like through the power of makeup and performance. So I was like, that's really, really cool. You just said something that is so striking to me about you can be anything you want. You can create anything you want. And early on, when you were talking about you love to read when you were a kid, and you used the phrase, it took you into other worlds you could just create. And so it sounds like this recognition and this desire to create other worlds or to escape into other worlds is just a part of how you came into this world. When you spend so long feeling like you don't belong, I have never felt more connected to the community or even life itself than I have since I started drag. When I am Ava, when I'm that character, and I don't really say character because I always just say it realistically. I mean, a lot of people have characters and they, some of them do accents and things. I always say it's just, it's me with different packaging realistically. But like, I... I am now more accessible to people than I ever would be in my day-to-day life. If I were to meet so many of the people that I've met in my day-to-day life, the conversations I would have been too shy to start, they start. Because now there's this visual being that they're just like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. Or like, what brought you to this point? You know, even having the conversation we're all having now, like this is something that drag has allowed me to do. And the experiences I've had through drag really has taken me into a whole nother world. And I get to be anybody, you know, through Ava. And so when you said you've never felt more connected than you have to this community or when you are performing, why is that? I mean, is that what you were just talking about? That people will just come up to you? Or is there a reason you feel so connected when you're performing? The reality is, I think people operate because of, and I want to make sure I word this correctly, because this is not meant to offend any particular group or anything like that. But the hard reality in one of the podcasts you did with Chris, right? Chris Pierce. Mm -hmm. Was kind of touched on a bit about when he said, I don't have an issue with, all police officers, just a particular issue when it comes to that. That's life in itself through like culture or race or even the the queer community. No community is perfect. That's the reality of it. And, you know, I think people, when they are trying to defend something, there's very much a blanket kind of way of saying when people say Black Lives Matter, they're not saying like everyone is perfect in the community, but it's saying that people don't deserve to die because they are Black. So it's the same kind of idea of that where I can acknowledge as a human being that like I've never fully be embraced by the white community because I'm not white. I'll never fully be embraced by the Black community because I am mixed and in some arguments biracial or what have you. And um, also being queer, that is also an issue for both cultures to some degree, but also the queer community 
though I'm very proud to be a part of the queer community and there's so much beauty in it, again, it's not perfect. And there is a level of like, you know, you're not going to be accepted by every group within the queer community. And it's people. At the end of the day, people are imperfect and there's going to be points where you're not going to be fully accepted. So being in the Bay Area, being Black, not fitting a particular type, even within like the dating community or what have you, I've never fully been embraced even by the gay community. So when it came to drag now, I think I'm going to quote Eartha Kitt. She said this when she was being interviewed talking about like Catwoman and they asked her what to her to be like the first black Catwoman. And then she's like, well, she's like, I'm an entertainer. And as an entertainer, I have no race, creed or color. I belong to everyone. And though my culture is very much a big part of who I am. When I am Ava, there is very much a kind of universal where I'm more accepted, more welcomed than I am as Donnell. And for me, I then have the ability to reach more people and have more conversations and more serious conversations and more direct conversations about my experiences and the experiences that the queer community faces, the experiences that the Black community faces, through being this other person that people are more accepting of, whether it's because of my look or because of the performance itself or because they liked my comedy or what have you. So how long have you been either in your persona of Ava or doing drag? You mentioned it was first when you were in college. I'm 32 now, so I started drag eight and a half years ago. The decision really kind of comes back to what I was just talking about, not fully being accepted. I went to Sacramento Pride eight and a half years ago, and I wasn't in drag. And at the end of the night, there was a drag show at a local club. It was at Badlands in Sacramento. And there was a show put on. It was hosted by Pollo Del Mar. And Juju B of RuPaul's Drag Race was performing that night. I had not watched RuPaul's Drag Race at that point, so I didn't really know who she was, but she was beautiful. She was phenomenal. I remember they were doing a meet and greet at the end of the thing. I was just like, I'm just go up and and see these queens because they were amazing and tell them how amazing they were. So I was like the last person in the line. At this point, again, I knew I was going to like try to experience drag, but I hadn't gone out in drag or anything. I got up to the top of the steps, uh, was right outside the room for the meet and greet. And Pollo Delmar said, what's your name, sweetie? And I said, my name. And she's like, no, what's your performer name? I was like, I have one. I haven't done anything with it. And she's like, your eyebrows tell me you're a performer. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. So they were very well taken care of at the time. Um, since drag, they were not very well taken care of. But at the time, they were very well taken care of. She's like, your eyebrows tell me performer. And I, and I was like, I was like, Ava, Ava Lachey. And she's like, okay, cool. She's like, come meet Juju. And she walked me into the room. And she's like, Juju, meet Ava Lachey. She's a performer. And the only thing thinner than Ava is her eyebrows. And, um, <laughs> and I met Juju. And Juju's just like, oh, Ava, as another queen, can I be comfortable with you? And I said, absolutely. She said, cool. She takes off her high heels like yanks her pantyhose away from her toes like screams she's like i'm gonna give you the best bit of advice you will ever get or just like best warning you will ever get for drag and she's holding her shoe and she's like pointing her shoe at me she's like your feet will never be the same take care of them and i was just like okay but it was the most positive experience i'd had that day and i remember thinking 
I could do this. I could be queen. I could do this and I could have fun and, and, and perform maybe. <laughs> and I could be that positive experience for someone else someday. And that's really where that, the moment of, I know I want to do drag came from. You know, we're talking about all this positivity. And again, like when I got to see you perform and there are these kids in the audience and I, my heart just soared when you're speaking to them and speaking to the folks that brought them there. And then what you're saying about really feeling included and what an amazing experience to meet these amazing drag queens. I think about what's going on right now in the U.S. and the way that drag is being maligned. First of all, I'm just appalled by it. But second of all, I'm curious if you have thoughts on why drag? This seems like such an inclusive thing. Why is drag specifically being attacked? Yeah. Well, it's one of those tough things. It's definitely been something that's weighed on a lot of the drag community lately and more so the trans community. If you look at the wording of these anti-drag bills, it's not really meant to target the drag community specifically. It's very much meant to target the trans community, but that's their crafty way to try to do that. It all comes down to this crazy fear that people seem to have over other people's identity or things they don't understand, people's sexuality. The wording that gets used to really demonize us is really like grooming, predator, all these crazy words. They're not representing the community at all, but it's just ways that they can get people to fear individuals just for living their lives and being who they are. And the wording for these anti-drag bills, and I know specifically Tennessee, they'd had to delay. They had to postpone, like, putting it into effect at one point due to, you know, the argument of, like, your wording is not very clear. Because it wasn't. And so they were trying to revise it as any adult cabaret-style performance but very specifically, if someone is wearing clothing opposite of their assigned gender, which, again, as a drag performer, yes, like if you are going, trying to go from a show, like home to a show or somewhere to a show and you're out and about, then that is very much a problem. But anybody can do drag. That's the thing about drag. Like anyone can do it. It is not limited to like the very archaic idea of men impersonating women. That's not it. Anyone can do drag. If I could just interrupt you for a second and put a plug in for the show We're Here, because that show underlines this fact completely. And for our listeners, if you haven't watched it, oh my God, it is so heartwarming and so lovely. And exactly to Ava's point, yeah, some people are gay, some people are straight, some people are allies, some people had a kid that came out and they didn't handle it well. It sort of runs the gamut and everybody gets into some form of drag and it's joyous to watch. It is really great. So sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to put a little plug in. <laughs> it's real. It's very real. I even like, you know, going from like all the Queens from we're here came about through RuPaul's drag race and RuPaul even has the song, you know, in the saying we're all born naked and the rest is drag because that's, you know, and that's just, it is for the trans community specifically. A lot of the times drag is a safer way to explore their identity or be who they are prior to having to come out as trans because it is such a dangerous world in general, but very much the trans community, especially the POC trans community gets targeted. And we recently had, and honestly it was one of the most heartwarming thing. And that's 
kind of jumping, not off topic, but jumping to what you've talked about with, you know, when the kids are at the shows, it means the world to us because we didn't get to do that at their age, you know, and that's just being able to see and seeing parents be so supportive and so open is amazing. Like, you know, my dad was, was here. He even said he would never support it. He's come out to a show, two shows now, and he understands it's not what he thought it was going to be, but it's one of those things that took years and years and years and years. And so seeing young queer individuals and sometimes not even queer kids, you know, they're just accepting and their parents are taking them out to show them that it's okay to be whoever you want to be. That is such a beautiful thing. And I applaud the parents that do. I, I am so grateful to them. And we recently had a young trans girl at one of the shows and, and culturally like seeing her with her family, family and her whole family there celebrating her for her birthday was just amazing because the world truly needs more of it and there's not enough of it. And so again, like I've had many friends who, again, that was their first outlet. Drag was their first outlet to get more comfortable in being themselves. And then ultimately when they felt like they were at a safe point to come out and say, I am trans, that helped them build that confidence and that courage. There's a performer, she was recently on RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, and she had previously been on the show. And I remember years ago, she was known for making a statement when she came out publicly as trans on the show. And they asked her, what is the difference between you being transgender or being a drag performer? She said, drag is what I do, trans is who I am. And when they say adult cabaret performance and, you know, wearing clothing of the opposite sex, it's really crazy because again, it's not a performance for trans individuals. That's their life. But those bills are being used to target them in these States. And it's really terrifying because, you know, I have friends who perform in different States. They're terrified because they don't know what that means for them. Some people, it is their livelihood. And again, some people, it's their identity. So it's really insane that in 2023, in a country that is built on this idea of freedom and freedom of speech and expression, that they're still trying to limit people's rights to be themselves. Like, it's it's frightening. I even, not even just from that standpoint, you know, my partner moved out from Vermont to be with me seven months ago. Yay! um, (laughs) Yeah, and we are in an interracial relationship. And what was crazy about that was the month that my partner came out, the articles were coming up like gay marriage was still in the clear and was still allowed. But also at the same time, there was an article of that the interracial marriage was still protected at the time because apparently that was something that was still up for discussion. And the fact that in 2023 that's happening is just really, really wild. And the fact that people are being targeted just for who they love and just for being who they are is appalling. It's easy to think this is only talked about on the fringe, but There have been a couple of U.S. senators who have said, oh, I'm open to having interracial marriage back on the table. It's pretty terrifying. When you think about sort of your own safety and your own well-being, I was reading an article that just recently you were back at your alma mater doing a performance, but specifically a storytelling performance. And there were some protests, but it wasn't just a small thing, right? Can you tell us a little bit about what happened? 
Yeah. So it was very interesting. I was reached out to after a show because I do shows locally here in Livermore and I was reached out to after a show about just coming and reading. So it wasn't actually very clear initially what they wanted me to do. I have a short story and a poem published in two of the past Las Positas anthologies. So when they invited me to come and they knew I was part of the English program there. So when I was invited to come and read at the LPC Literary Arts Festival, it wasn't very clear specifically as to what it was going to be. They just said, would you be open to that? And I said, yes. And then ultimately, you know, there was a, they posted it and it was penned as Drag Story Hour and it was for kids and kids at heart. And from there, nothing came up for that for a while. It was really within the last two months. There was a you know very conservative, someone who does a podcast, I'm not specific about the podcast, but they had an Instagram page. And on the Instagram page, they were so bashing LPC Literary Arts Festival for having us. They tagged my partner and I in it. And so it was one of those things. And I'm very much like, well, block it, move on. If you deal with hate, in different points of life. It's just block it and move on again. But from there, you know, I got a really like nasty message through my website. And in this message, I was called a grooming piece of shit. It was do your performances. This is no threat. That's what they, they, after they said that, the grooming piece of shit, they said, this is no threat. Do your performances if you will, but don't do it in front of children and all these things. And it was a very crazy message, but it's one of those things where, again, it's, this is clearly someone who has no clue what they're talking about. And that's the frustrating part of it is that you have these people who really have no understanding. They don't intend to understand. They just want to villainize something that they perceive as a problem because it doesn't fit into their worldview. And so that had happened from there. It definitely got uncomfortable. We were you know, notified that there was a post by a group that they were planning a quote-unquote peaceful rally at the story hour. From there, a lot of conversations about the security and safety came up. We were informed that through their post on Facebook that they had, it was a, a woman who works for the, or she started the Bay Area Against Mandates was her her cause, I guess. Things like that are really funny to me because you have people that want to fight for their right to not wear masks or get vaccines, but then they want to strip away other people's rights based off of their personal opinions. So there's this crazy hypocritical and create like wild idea going on there. But basically they had posted where they were going to be parking. So there was this whole thing about like, where was I going to park? Was there going to be security walking me to and from? And I at first was not really concerned with it, but then it became more of a thing where they were very concerned and we knew that the police were going to be coming for safety purposes. The day of, we went. My partner did not feel safe. My mother actually went with us. She did not feel safe. I didn't personally feel safe, but I'm very stubborn. And so I was like, we're going to go. And I'd committed to this. So I was like, we're going to go. I, ultimately, I was actually behind several locked doors so that they could keep people from getting to me. There were people trying to get into the main room where we were going to be doing the reading. It was interesting. I was reached out to maybe an hour or so before 
via email, which I didn't see till afterwards. I was reached out to by a writer from the SF Chronicle, who ultimately was the one who did the article. And I'm not going to by any means bash the writer whatsoever. I believe she she did her job and you have to be impartial when you write these things. What I didn't agree with was the title, Largely Peaceful Protest, because for me, and I think that was why I was hesitant. I didn't actually reach out to her after I saw the email because you never really know which direction that's going to go and what they're aiming for. And when I saw the article, I really, because the article was done by that night. That was the crazy part about it. It was very, it was up and posted by like that evening. So for me, it was just kind of like, they kind of already knew what direction they were going to go in. And when it said largely peaceful, they did get quotes from counter protesters and people who were in attendance. But when you have the privilege to say that it was a peaceful event, that means It's something you are not a part of. You don't have any personal connection to the community because as a member of the community, as a person who was being targeted that day, there was nothing peaceful about it. When there are people with signs telling you that your existence is wrong, that's not peaceful. When there are people who want to get to you for whatever reason, whether it was just to tell me that to my face or call me names to my face or whatever. There's nothing peaceful about that. When a performer who's literally just been invited to read books that the school chose is being escorted to and from rooms and put behind locked doors, there's nothing peaceful about that. And when kids are at an event and they're seeing grown adults be hateful to other people, there is nothing peaceful about that. So for me, I'd even been reached out to afterwards by someone from Cron4 if I wanted to follow up on that. And it was just one of those things where for me, it was just the event itself was to have an inclusive event. The kids had a wonderful time. The kids were really, really hilarious. They were really funny. They pretty much knew all the books that they had me reading for the kids. The kids already kind of knew them. And I think something that was said in the article by someone is that people who cannot separate sexual behavior from sexual identity. And, you know, when you're calling people groomers or you're saying all these things, it's like, okay, but there were protesters in the room. That is another thing because they had previously registered to be there and, you know, they don't know who's who or what, you know, what have you. So there were actually people in the room and I was actually recorded the entire time. And I keep joking, like, I'm really curious to see what that's going to look like when they're done doing whatever they're going to do with whatever videos they got, because all the other videos that have actually been shared online by people who were in attendance and brought their kids and everything everything, you know, you'll see I'm sitting in this room, I'm reading the books, the kids are all sitting around and there's adults all through this room, but there were quite a few in there. They had their signs too. They didn't do anything with them. They just kept recording and taking notes on whatever they were taking notes on. But it's like, what did you get out of that? Ultimately, what was wrong with a book called Dragons Love Tacos (laughs) that all the kids seem to, you know, it's like, what did you take away from that yourself? And I was even making jokes to them while they were there as I do, just because I kind of knew you could tell who was there for what reason or the right reason. But again, it wasn't for them. I was there to read to the kids and to the adults that wanted to attend this and wanted to be a part of it. And I joked afterwards too, because there was a professor who was in the, the green room that I was in and they were all very, I mean, all the professors and I knew some of them from when I went there, a lot of them were all just kind of like, this is so silly but they're like, hey, free press. But 
one of them, she came to the back. I did not get her name, but she was so annoyed. And the reason she was so annoyed was because one of the protesters outside said in front of her, he was asking someone else, exactly what does LPC stand for? <laughs> like, didn't even know where he no, was. <laughs> you GPS, you had to GPS to get here or something. I'm sure, <laughs> like, you don't know where you are. And I joked, I was like, well, then the real issue is not with the drag, it's with literacy. And they were just <laughs> as an excuse to be mad. But it was interesting too, because they actually, in the article as well, because again, I was never outside. I never got to go out there. I know from friends who were there, what was happening. I know from the people that were working the event, they were telling me, actively telling me what was going on outside and what was being said. You know, they said, oh, it was hours long event. It wasn't actually hours long. It was an hour long. The every, we were just nobody, they were outside waiting for me to come out. And that's why I think it felt longer to them. And it's like, if you're waiting for a person to come out, what was your intention? So again, there was nothing peaceful about it. So that's why it's crazy, but it's something, you know, and I have other friends who have done story hours and have dealt with similar things or some who have luckily very peaceful experiences. We're not doing it for the protesters. We're not doing it for a negative reason. You know, we're asked to be involved in these things. And it's mainly because again, we're, I mean, realistically, I can't imagine how many of the kids actually even knew, like understood I think they just thought she was a Disney princess, you know, <laughs> like in a blue dress and, you know, just reading books. I'm visualizing you in this room reading books to all these little kids. And I'm thinking back to little Danelle. And if you could go back in time when none of the things that have played out in your life have yet played out and knowing how your life played out, what words of wisdom would you whisper in his ear? I truly operate under, and that's what keeps me going, like humor and the idea that humor, making other people laugh through humor and smile with the shows and everything like that, but also this idea that everything does happen for a reason. And if I don't have that, then I really don't think I would have gotten through everything that I have in my life. But I think just really reminding myself of that. I think if we could see ourselves at that age and see ourselves and know you got to that point, regardless of how you got there, if you could just see ourselves, that in itself, like just would make all the difference. And so I think if I knew then that I would get through everything that was going to happen and come my way, then that would be a bigger comfort than anything else, I think. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm holding out hope that maybe you may get on to RuPaul's at some point. <laughs> and we're going to start the campaign here with this episode. So let us know. Who, let's get RuPaul on the phone and, and get you on, because I think that you would be an amazing competitor. Thank you so, so very much. This has been the best time. And I'm so very grateful to both of you for allowing me to be a part of this and allowing me to be myself and and for doing what you're doing. It's really, I think... What you're doing is so important because in life, you know, you get those stories that people feel are those epic stories worthy of a movie and like a blockbuster movie. But there are so many important stories in life. You know, I'm sure each of your own stories and then the people that you bring on, there's so many important stories out there. And the fact that you give people that platform is truly amazing. So thank you so very much. Oh, such a pleasure to have you on. 
for today, I think that's going to wrap up our episode. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend, gave us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. You can find information and previous episodes at flowingeastandwest.com. And for our listeners, we have a new opportunity for you to get engaged with the podcast. Jumping off of Ava's comment about stories, we're calling it Pod Squads, which is kind of like a book club for each episode. And if that sounds interesting to you, sign up at flowingeastandwest.com if you want to get some more information. It'll also come with the very, very special opportunity for one of us to join your pod squad for a discussion. Until then, please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. Mm -hmm.